teaches that God is gracious and merciful. Amen? Yes, he is. Yet it also speaks about an unpardonable sin. Has anyone ever heard this terminology, unpardonable sin? At any point in your life, whether it was 20 years ago or 10 minutes ago, has that terminology ever got you scared or just a little nervous? The unpard... I don't want to be a part of anything that is unpardonable. So what is this sin? How do we know if this sin has been committed? That sounds pretty scary. I want to be pardoned. So tonight we're going to look at the unpardonable sin. Lord, thank you for everybody who's here, everyone who's able to tune in online, Jesus. And I just pray that your word would go forth with clarity and freedom. Lord Jesus, that our minds, even though we probably, some of us here have had busy days, challenging days, stressful days. God, that we can set all that aside and just we've, we've worshipped you. Now we want to receive from your word. Speak clearly to us, I pray. In your name, Jesus, we ask it. Amen. So some Jewish religious leaders, they wanted to discredit Jesus, but they would not, they, but they could not deny the miracles. I mean, somebody walks in that, you know, is blind from birth or couldn't walk from birth, and all of a sudden, like, Jesus heals them. You can't really deny that. So they, they, they went from kind of denying, oh, he's not, isn't this the one from Nazareth? Oh, isn't his dad a carpenter? You know, just kind of belittling him. But they had to come up with a different plan when the miracles started. So what they said was, hey, he casts out demons by Satan himself. He does these works by the devil himself. <laughs> well, this is how Jesus responded in Matthew 12, 22. He says, uh, so it says, the de demon-possessed man who was blind, couldn't speak, was brought to Jesus. He healed him. The crowd was amazed and said, could it be that Jesus is the son of David, that he's the Messiah? When the Pharisees heard about this miracle, they said, hey, no wonder he can cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan, the prince of demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and replied, any kingdom divided by civil war is doomed. Good thing that we managed to survive the 1800s. But it says a town or family splintered by feuding will fall apart. If Satan is casting out Satan, he's divided and fighting against himself. His own kingdom will not survive. And if I'm empowered by Satan, what about your own exorcists? They cast out demons too, so they will condemn you for what you said. But if I'm casting out demons by the Spirit of God, then, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. For who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man and plunder his goods? Only someone who's even stronger. Someone who could tie him up and plunder, then plunder his house. Anyone who isn't with me opposes me. Anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. So I tell you, every sin and blasphemy can be forgiven. Except blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which will never be forgiven. The unpardonable sin. Jesus warned religious leaders who should have been knowledgeable about the work of God's Spirit, yet attributed that to the devil. Jesus did not directly accuse them of having committed this sin, but he warned them that their, your conduct right now is extremely dangerous. If you persist in denying the evident work of the Holy Ghost, you could eventually reach the point where you no longer recognize God's leading, and that could result in you missing out on salvation. 
Blaspheming the Holy Spirit means more than just speaking evil of or cursing or mocking God's Spirit. It involves denying the work of God's Spirit to such an extent that God can no longer reach the person. We shouldn't think of the unpardonable sin as just one bad, I mean really bad mistake. Or you made that one bad mistake and it's your seventh time. And that's like the mark of the Lord, the favorite number. So once you hit seven, there's no more forgiveness. And so now it's the unpardonable sin. Or, or that one is worse than the other one. And, or you made, that's not what unpardonable sin is. His grace is abundant even toward blasphemers. Look what Paul says in 1 Timothy 1, 13. Even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ, in my insolence, I persecuted his people. But God had mercy on me because I did it in, in, in ignorance and unbelief. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with faith and love that come from Jesus, from Christ Jesus. No matter how much sin abounds, I want to put this part to rest. So we're going to look at a handful of scriptures here back to back. Why? Because I want you to see that God's grace is stronger than anything that's out there. And so no matter how much sin abounds, grace is there. We read that in Romans 5.20. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sin more and more, God's wonderful grace become much more and more abundant, it said. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing. Well, you know what right standing, another terminology, that's justification. We're justified by our faith. We're justified by what Christ did on Calvary and are and accepting that in response and obedience. And so giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you know we receive forgiveness of sins according to his riches and grace? Ephesians 1, 7 says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to his riches and grace. You think about somebody that's rich, they have a lot of something. Well, our God has a lot of grace and he's rich in it. And because of that, his mercies never fail. We read about that in the Old Testament, Lamentations 3.22. It is of the Lord's mercies. We're not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Our vision here at Refuge Church is experience hope, offer hope. We have no hope if his mercies were not new every morning. If we confess our sins, what does Scripture say? 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from our unrighteousness, from all unrighteousness. So the God who admonishes us to extend forgiveness continually, He will do no less. But eventually, there will be a day of judgment. A day of judgment because God does not deal with his people forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. We read about that in Genesis 6.3. The Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. Like the days of Noah, if we reject God's presence, we don't have a guarantee of another opportunity. I just got done teaching a Bible study about signs of the times. We're living in the last days. God's coming back. 
the prophetic calendar is set. Nothing else needs to happen really for the Antichrist to step on the scene and for God to take his church away. Like there's, it's, it's here. We're ready. I want to be ready. And so when he says, he says, lift up your head when you see these signs, your redemption draweth near. That goes all the way back to the Old Testament. They would kill the Passover lamb, put the blood on the doorpost. He told them to eat that with their staff in their hand and their sandals on their feet. What does that mean? Because eventually I'm coming. The death angel is going to pass through. I'm going to call you out of this land of bondage into a place of promise. And you need to be ready because when I come, I come and you got to be ready to go. That translates into the New Testament. We are not going to stay in a land of bondage forever. We have been set free. He has a place of promise for us. We're going to be in eternity with him. And we need to be eating our spiritual meals with our rod in our hand and our sandals on our feet, ready whenever he calls. And so, not because we look, he's eventually, he'll... He's not going to give us just opportunity after opportunity, not because God's unmerciful, but because sin separates humankind from him, and he has a place for us. If we will just turn to him in repentance, no matter the sin, we think of the most vile sin that's out there, no matter the sin, if we turn to him in repentance, he will abundantly pardon us. Isaiah 55, 6 and 7 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him when he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Abundant grace, rich in grace, abundantly pardon. I love these phrases because these are the phrases that give me hope. Because in spite of my failures and faults and sins and poor choices and bad decisions and disobedience and disregard and and making mistakes and, and all of that, I can cling to the fact that he's abundant in grace, abundant mercy. His mercies are new every morning. I'm thankful for that. So I want you to see all these passages point to the fact God does not just arbitrarily cut someone off. Up, sinner, sinner, forgiven, forgiven, forgiven. The unpardonable sin, you're done. That one, that's the seventh time. Oh, that one was worse than the last one. You're done. But people can cut God off through persistent rejection. There never is a place God can't reach you. Well, there's a place he chooses not to, and that's persistent rejection when you say, get away, I'm not interested. Just like people that have left this church through the years. Oh, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I could close my eyes and start to talk about the children's faces, the parents' faces, the names, the situation. I mean, I hate it. I wish it was different. But if they cut me off to where they won't respond to me, answer me, or let me help, I have to accept their decision. And God created us with free will. He's not willing that anyone should perish, that all should come to repentance. But many will reject him. 
Therefore, he says, he will reject them in the day that he comes back. People say, that doesn't sound fair. It's fair. He's reached and reached and reached and said, you ask your days, I have abundant grace. I'll pardon you. Mercies are new every morning. Here's what I want. Here's my plan for your salvation. Here's what I desire you to do. I, I write it all in this book. Here's what happens if you listen. Here's what happens if you don't. And then if you reject what I'm saying, when I come back, I'm going to reject you. If people become so spiritually deluded that they think God's spirit is actually the work of the devil, then they themselves have placed their own selves beyond his reach. That does not mean that he has not reached. It means they are intentionally moving further from him because they're not interested in being within his reach. In the Gospel of Matthew, every time Jesus would move or perform a miracle, they would try to attribute his work to the devil and would thus not respond. They would not respond. They would not give him glory, praise, except who he says he was, said he was. It was and it is a very scary place. It's a scary place when we allow ourselves to reach that point. Meaning what? What happens is this. It gets to the point where everyone else is wrong but you. Everyone is out to get you. No one understands you. Nobody has it as hard as you do. God doesn't care about you, so you start questioning everything that goes on in the spirit even. A similar example is this. You start to attribute the spirit to just emotionalism or psychological manipulation. God isn't really in it. It's just them acting. God isn't really doing that. They're just emotional. Can I just pause right there and say something? You better believe I am emotional. We all should be. God robed himself in flesh took my sins and paid the price on a cross that I was supposed to pay. He died there. Then he rose again, defeated death, hell, and the grave. Then he put his spirit inside of me and washed my sins away in the waters of baptism, gave me power to be a witness, said my mercies are new every morning. Just confess, and I'm faithful. I'm just to forgive you. You better believe that there is some emotion that is built up in that. Oh, you're just emotional. Yes. Okay, so what is your point with that? As in the case we read about Paul, he was forgiven for blaspheming Christ, but the passage said that passage says God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. We must remain open to the work of the Spirit in our lives. 
That's why I'm always saying, you hear me say this all the time, I will never stop saying it. It's funny because growing up, Pastor Tamil was here, his father, Elder Tamil, he used to repeat some of the same stuff. I'm telling you, I'd be like, is he getting that old? He's repeating the same stuff. Does he not remember he just said that? And now I'm pastoring and I'm repeating the same stuff. And I'm like, I remember repeating it, but it's so important that I want to say it all the time. So I need to repeat myself, right, Sister Ginger? Yes. And so I repeat myself because, because it's important. What should I, what am I going to say? Nothing, absolutely nothing, nothing, nothing. Not one topic, not one subject, nothing should ever be off limits to the Spirit of God in our lives. Too often what happens is, oh yes, yes, I believe that he's preaching worship. I love worship. Worship's awesome. Preaching tithing. You know what? I tithe. I got no problem with tithing. Praise God. That's good stuff right there. Oh, he's preaching about, he's preaching about apparel. Eh, not, not my thing. Not my thing. This is where you, I'm going to cut it off right there. I ain't doing that. That's, I'm not going to live that way. Don't even bring that up. So there's certain topics that are off limits. Oh, he's preaching about God's design for the family and how he created the man and the female. Oh, don't go there. Mm-mm. I'm a strong woman, strong man. No, no, I'm not going to hear that. Hold it. If I'm in Scripture. Now, now, if I ever get in the pulpit and say, guys, I'm not using the Bible today. I'm just going to talk to you about what my personal opinions are, and I'm going to preach it like gospel. You can be nice, smile at me, or you can get up and leave. Go ahead. Because now, now my, my, my thoughts, my personal opinions aren't going to get you to heaven. But when I'm in the Word, there should be nothing. Nothing. Even if I say something and you are living 100% opposite as to what I just said in God's Word, there should be in every one of us, God created me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me, Lord. Let my heart be open, God. I want to receive what it is you want. Whatever you want me to be, you are the, pot. You are the potter. I'm the clay. I, I think sometimes we get that mixed up. God, you're the, you're the clay. I'm the potter, and here's my plan. Here's what I want you to do. I just want you to do this. I want this to happen. Here's the timeline that I want it to happen. And God's like, hang on, just back up a minute. I'm, I thought I was the potter. But what happens, if we're not careful, is we get such experts in this way of living that there are certain things that we embrace and we'll go, amen, praise God, that's right, until the preacher gets on a topic that we're not as big of a fan of. And then all of a sudden, eh. no, 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 you're, in, you're entering the off-limits zone. Kind of like when you go to those junior camps or you be in high school, you know, they got the, now you guys can't go past the play set over there. And you got, you got to stay past those trees. That's on, that's out of bounds. That's off limits. Humanity, man. You say, don't go past the play set. And the first thing we want to do is, well, what's beyond the play set? It goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. What's behind the play set? We always, you might not have a specific conviction right now about whatever the topic. But there should be nothing and no place that is off limits. You can say, man, God, use me. If this is what you want me to do, I just don't have a conviction. I haven't seen that. But God, if you want me to see it, that should always be the attitude. Lord, my heart's open. The Spirit has access to every part 
of our hearts, minds, lives, bodies. Matter of fact, he says, we're bought and paid for with a price. Our bodies are not our own. So the minute we think, oh yeah, well I'm going to do what I want, just remember, he bought that body. He owns me. And I'm fine with that. I voluntarily serve him and will do anything he tells me or shows me in his word to do. The moment we start to open some doors to the spirit, hear me, and lock other doors, the part of me, uh, that, that part of our life to be touched, we say, okay, this is open. This one's locked. Not now. No, no, no. We're now beginning a journey that takes us down a very dangerous road. Because he's either Lord of all or not Lord at all. And so when we start to say, uh, here, God, you have an access card into door 7, 8, 13, 14, and 15. What about 1 through 4? Yeah, that's, that's personal. I'm not really going to let you touch that part. That's a dangerous road. The book of Hebrews warns against falling away or apostasy. When a spirit-filled believer denies the very basis of salvation, such as turning from the gospel to a religion or a lifestyle that ignores Christ and his blood and his saving power, that's critical. I will say from some of my circles of friends and people I've known, they never, ever, ever preach, teach, live this wholeheartedly and say, oh God, all doors of my heart are open. And then all of a sudden, 24 hours later, they wake up and go, you know what? I'm just walking away from everything. I'm leaving it. That never, ever, ever, never, ever, ever, never, ever, never, ever happens. It always starts with door six is locked. But look at all the other stuff I do. All of a sudden, door 12 is locked. All of a sudden, that's not a big deal. I don't think that's a huge deal either. And before you know it, some of the people who I was very close to at times have walked away from anything external, internal. They're baptizing in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which is not biblical. And all of a sudden, what starts to happen is, well, that's not really necessary for salvation. Do you know, speaking tongues, that's a gift, but everything starts to get questioned. It does not start, oh, hey, boom, zero to 60, overnight, I just walked away from it all. It starts with, there are some doors that should be locked that I've opened up, and some doors that should be open that I've locked. And so Hebrews was written to urge Jewish Christians not to turn from the cross and go back to covenant animal sacrifices. Sometimes when things aren't going the way you want them to go, the consecrations, commitments, growth that you've made, you know what you find yourself doing? Going backward. People call that backsliding. Going back to an old way of life. This is not new. Backsliding isn't a 21st century thing. The Israelites wanted to backslide. Staff in hand, sandals on feet, boom, come back. Woo, we're leaving 430 years. We're not prisoners no more. We're not in bondage. We're going to a place of promise. They hit the first, the first obstacle. 
What you bring us out here to die? I want to go back into bondage. At least we had leeks and onions and we knew what to expect. Are you kidding me? You'd rather live, you, your children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, you'd rather live in bondage? Yeah. You know why? Because I knew what to expect every day. And so today, people still do the same thing. They hit an obstacle. Something doesn't go as well as it, they expected when they got baptized. So they say, Arr. and that's why we need people to make disciples. Because if we're expecting new believers to just get fed on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings, when they hit that obstacle, they need someone to come alongside them and say, don't give up. Watch God take you through this obstacle. Okay, he's going to part the sea. You're going to walk through on dry ground. And I'm going to be walking with you on dry ground. They didn't walk alone. They walked in a whole multitude. That's why we need more disciple makers, more people realizing that there's people on this journey that are struggling and hitting obstacles. Don't leave them there till Sunday. And so look at the stern warning. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 6, 4, he says, It's impossible for those who were once enlightened, have tasted of the heavenly gift, and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. These believers had the Holy Spirit. And have tasted the good word of God and the powers of, of the word to come. If they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. And I, I would always read this and I'd just weep on my ground and, think that every one of my sins just crucified Christ again. I heard it preached. What this passage is talking about is people were thinking about returning to animal sacrifices, going back to what they knew. And so the writer here, whether that's Paul, Apollos, whoever, you can talk to different people and they'll all tell you different. So no, we don't know the writer of Hebrews. I'll give you my theory if you want to talk privately later. Brother Foster will give you his. Maybe we agree. Maybe we don't. I don't know. But the writer here says, hey, you're going back. You've already tasted of what he did on Calvary. Now you want to go backwards. You're going to crucify him afresh again. He already paid the price. You're trying to go back into an animal sacrifice. It was already fulfilled on the cross. And then verse 26 of Hebrews 10, it says, For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. That is a, that freaked me out for many years right there. It's like the unpardonable sin. If we sin willfully, come on now, let's have some honesty tonight. Who here has ever sinned willfully? Sinning is missing the mark. Oh, that sounds so beautiful. Like I'm shooting an arrow. I'm just not talented. I tried to hit there and it went off to the right. And so today I went to the right. Tomorrow I went to the left. Sometimes we say, oh, Scripture says that. No, flesh is hungry. I'm doing it anyway. Let's be real. God forbid. So you look at that. These people who were considering going back to a works-based system, people who would thus belittle the cross and place that Jesus Christ holds in their salvation, getting rid of all that, 
And if that was the case, then the blood would not apply to them because they would, they have, if they went back to animal sacrifices, you're sinning willfully going backward. That's not his plan for you. And so you've received the knowledge of the truth. You know Jesus died on the cross. You know he paid the price for sin. And when you go back to animal sacrifice, there's not any more sacrifice for your sin. He paid for it. But you're disregarding the cross to go back to the, to the lamb or the bull. And so this is not like 21st century church. You might make a really bad mistake and never have forgiveness. That's not what this is saying. His grace, his blood, it's so much bigger and stronger than that. Now, yes, Paul says, should we, should we sin so grace may abound? He says, absolutely not. That's not the way we live our life. If we're dead to sin, then we need to be dead to sin. But this whole being fearful of like, he just holds us over heaven. I'm like, oh! Which, which one's the bad one that he just says, fine, I'm done. That's not the God we serve. The cross is so much bigger and stronger and greater than that. Don't live for God out of fear. I think we need to have an element of reverence and respect. Absolutely. But this whole, what if I mess no, what he's talking about here is you go back to animal sacrifice, there, you, just, you just went ahead and disregarded, you disregarded the sacrifice that was already made. There remains no more sacrifice for your sins now. Don't look essentially what the message of the Bible is. The Old Testament points to Jesus, the New Testament points to Jesus. The whole thing points to Christ. So when people try and speak derogatory about Pentecostals, you Jesus only people, I don't even know what you mean, but I, I think you might be right. Because without Jesus, we got no hope. He's everything. Almost just busted out in song. No. So, he's everything. Without Christ, there's no blood. Without the cross, there's no remission. And I love what Brother Tamil preached about resurrection. Yeah, because the cross isn't much without, without the resurrection. But there is no resurrection without the cross. The blood that Jesus shed for me way back on Calvary, it will never, ever lose its power. Because it reaches to the highest mountain. It flows to the lowest valley. Why don't we just thank God for a moment for the blood? Jesus, we thank you for your blood. Thank you for the fact that you looked at us and thought we were, we were worth dying for, Jesus. Thank you, God, for your mercy. Thank you, God, for your grace. You see, just a few more minutes, it says, so the point is not that an act of rejection is unforgivable, because, but that there is no salvation outside of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us. But someone who persists in denying the cross, this is where it does become real. You look to anything else, you look to anything else, and again, this is where people 
will accuse you as a United Pentecostal Church International member. Oh, you all say that there, you can earn these things. It's a works-based salvation. But he took care of it on the cross. We say, number one, you're wrong. We base everything we do on the cross. I don't do these things to get saved. I do these things in love and separation, sanctification unto my creator because I am saved. Because salvation has been purchased. I've aligned my life in obedience. And when he tells me to worship this way, give this way, dress this way, carry myself this way, think this way. I do these things not because I'm trying to earn something. But because he set me free in my humanity based on what he did on the cross of Calvary. And if that blood can still wash my life free and clean today. I want to live separated from the rest of the worldly system according to what he tells me in his word. And I don't do that out of bitterness and anger and spite. I do that because I am a child of the king and he has seen some value in me and I want to worship him with my entire life, soul, mind, body, strength, and spirit. And so nothing, there's nothing other than the cross and the work of his spirit by word or deed. It cannot be saved under, it's everything. The cross starts it and the spirit fulfills it. The spirit comes into our life and helps us to live this way. And so a backslider, someone who has done what I told you. Oh, I'm going backward. It's what I know. I've walked away from all of this. There can be any one of the families that has I've been privileged to serve as their pastor in the last 10 years who have walked out of this place, who have left this place. If any one of them walked back in, I do not say, well, where you been? Well, you and I need to talk before you come back. It's none of it. I, I try to be just like that prodigal father. I will meet them at the back door, give them a hug. We don't even need to talk about anything. You are welcome here. You are loved here. Welcome home. Home. Why? Because James 5.19 says, my dear brothers and sisters, if any among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. But we should definitely take note that even though we can receive forgiveness when we repent, sinful choices can result in permanent and serious loss of certain blessings or opportunities. Sinful choices can result in... David was forgiven for stealing Uriah's wife. He got her pregnant, and David was forgiven. But guess what? They lost their firstborn child. There was a consequence to the choice. Esau sells his birthright to Jacob, and Hebrews 12 tells us, you know that afterward, when he wanted his father's blessing, he was rejected. It was too late for repentance, even though he begged with bitter tears. Five foolish virgins, five wise virgins, they probably had intentions to grab oil. They were lazy. They weren't ready. He always talks about being ready. Old Testament, New Testament, always talks about being ready. Live in a ready state. Always be ready. I don't know if I'm ready. Well, then you better explore that. Why do you feel like you might not be ready? Explore that. Don't just ignore that. Don't ignore that. Explore that. That's good right there. 
poet and didn't know it. Quit the dad jokes. You see, and the five foolish virgins missed out. So, don't just take advantage of the grace. I'll always be there. Someday I'm going to get to it. Because we read stories about how that doesn't work. To the people that just say, I'll get to it. It's not a big deal. Someday. But now if you're the one that says, I have gotten to it. And I'm trying. And I'm just afraid I'm going to mess up so bad he's not going to love me anymore. Don't carry that. He says, every, every morning, my mercy's new. If I'm faithful and just to forgive you. So the unpardonable sin is not just making a really bad mistake and God holding you over a lake of fire and letting you go because you made one too many or one that was really bad. Instead, it involves people who have been very knowledgeable of God's work, which under the new covenant probably means they have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. But later they turned away from it. They rejected it denied it, no longer recognized God, desired to be in his presence, stopped responding to him reaching, and made certain areas of their lives completely off limits to his spirit. Those who want to be saved keep an open heart to God, and they seek him. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek him while he may be found. And they pursue his spirit. Don't discount, dismiss, and explain away God's spirit. And please don't discount, dismiss, or explain away your own lack of response to his spirit. I'm just not a guy that really raises my hands. I'm not a guy that goes to the altar. I'm not a guy that really worships. I'm not a guy that really cries. I'm not a guy that... If you catch yourself just always explaining why, why you're not that person, stop and say, man, so what kind of a worshiper am I? Because if I don't cry, I don't raise my hands, I don't go in an altar, I don't pray, I don't kneel, I don't raise my voice, I don't, what? What do I do? What do I do? We don't all have to worship the exact same way. But there should be something in our life that shows I'm pursuing God. I mean, you see those marriages that just says, oh, bless God, honey, we've been married 40 years. I told you I love you. If it changes, I'll let you know. Yeah, that don't work. That don't work. There should be some kind of a pursuit. If we're the bride of Christ, his presence is drawing you. Respond to that. Open your heart to him. Remain humble. Give God access to every part of your life. Don't make anything off limits. Don't hesitate. Today is the day of salvation. Open that heart and say, God, make every part of me what you want me to be. That let nothing, nothing just... Go in and just change whatever you want to change. Build what you want to build. Tear down what you want to tear down. But when you come to this altar in just a moment here, and you can stand to your feet, 
do it not with the weight and the burden of fear. Because there's some people maybe watching online, sitting here today, standing. You're like, man, you don't know, but yeah. But I messed up like the 50th time. I keep doing the same stuff. And I just don't know if I even belong here. And I don't know if he could forgive me. Listen, look at what we just read. Does that sound like a God who's holding you over fire saying, I can't wait to let you go? That sounds like a God that is reaching kind of like that Sistine Chapel with Michelangelo. Adam's sitting back on the, on the cloud and God's hand is just reaching and all the only thing separating it is just that much which tells us Michelangelo in his spirit as he's painting had this vision that if you want to touch God all you got to do is lift a finger. So you don't have to come up to this altar and it. He says, come boldly before the throne of grace. I know we don't feel bold when we mess up. We can walk into the throne room. And for the bride, Esther, can walk into that throne room and say, King, I know I'm supposed to have permission to be here. But I think when you claim me as your bride, I got some permission. And so I'm here tonight because I am sinful. Because I want to leave some stuff with you. But God, I don't want to continue. I want some things to change in me, and I want you to know that you have free reign in this mortal body that you've already purchased. And so maybe there's some things you need to ask for repentance for. Others, it's just worship because the fact He has forgiven you. For others, it's some areas of the heart that maybe have been locked that you say, you know what? I need to open some stuff out because I think that there's some things I have not given him free reign in. There's certainly some things I have, but there's some things I haven't. And maybe for each person, that's what the beauty of an altar call is. I can just talk for 45 minutes and different people are going to pull different things from what God just spoke. And that's the thing that you want to come to an altar for right now. And you want to begin to worship Him. And you want to begin to thank Him for the cross, for the blood, for second chances and third chances and tenth chances, for grace and for mercy, for the fact that He is the potter and we're the clay, for the fact that He gave us a word that makes His expectations clear. Thank God for His word or I wouldn't know how to do this. Oh, Jesus, thank you for the blood. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for giving us a written word that we can live by. Thank you for a body. Thank you that you called us to be the bride. Thank you that we, you told us we could come into your presence freely. Thank you for the promises that we read about. Thank you for spiritual gifts. Thank you, God, for all of these things that you've equipped us with. So we're not just sitting here trying to make this blindly by ourselves. We know what to do and how to do it, and you give us the strength in which to do it. God, help us to open our hearts, open our minds to give you a willing vessel with nothing hindering your flow of your spirit in our lives. Jesus, the center of it all. Jesus, I 
the center of 